One of the most challenging passages of Scripture for me is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And here's what Peter writes to the church in these verses. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me read it again. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy because I am holy. And this passage is challenging to me because it, it sets the bar of faithfulness to God pretty high. Be holy as God is holy. You're to be holy because God is holy and you're to be holy as he is holy, set apart, pure. Now, it could be very easy for us as a people to read that verse and think that God has actually set us up to fail. That's a pretty high standard, impossible standard in some uh, opinions. It, it, it's, um, it's more impossible than saying something like, hey, why don't you go out and play basketball like Michael Jordan? Or why don't you sing soprano like Sandy Patty? That's a high bar. Not many of us, if any of us, could ever meet such a high standard. But I want to argue this morning in accordance with what we have been learning about our God through this study in the book of Psalms, that what this represents, both the, the challenge in 1 Peter and what we will look at in our text today in Psalm chapter 15, is not God setting us up to fail, but rather another opportunity for God to display his glorious strength through our weakness. No, I want to show you this morning and, and hope to encourage you in this morning is that God has provided a way for us, a source of empowerment for us to live blamelessly for his glory, to live in holiness for his glory through the work of Jesus. So don't be discouraged, church, today by the high standard that God has set. Notice the standard see the standard, but also be encouraged that God has given you everything you need to walk in holiness and blamelessness for his glory in Christ. Psalm 15, let's read what David writes to us together. Here's what the word of God says. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly, and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who doesn't slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, and whose eyes a, a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Now our psalm begins with a key question. It's a very important question. It may be the most important question that we could ask of ourselves. Who can dwell with God? Who gets to dwell with God? Who can sojourn in his tent? Who can dwell on his holy hill? It's an important question because we were created for this. 
We were created to dwell with God. We were created to be in relationship with him. We see this from the beginning in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. God desires us. He created us to be and fellowship with him. And that's what we long for and desire. But it's also true that because of our sin, our rebellion against God, we are unable to walk with him. We are unable to dwell with him in that kind of garden type relationship. And so it creates this dilemma of longing on one hand, but of lack of being able to, to get, to see, to realize what it is that we desire. God did, though, in his mercy, make some provision for the blessing of his presence among his people. Even though we rebelled, even though we sinned and couldn't enjoy the full fellowship of God's presence, he did give us a taste. He gave the people of God some, some sacred spaces where they could experience the blessing of his presence, even if they couldn't fully engage it for fear that it would bring them death. And the two sacred spaces I'm speaking about are the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle first, and then the temple that was built by Solomon. Now this tabernacle is what's referenced here in Psalm 15, also known as the tent of meeting. It was established by Moses, but then installed in Jerusalem by David on God's holy hill in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the same place the temple would eventually be built. God would allow his presence to condescend into these sacred spaces as a reminder of what it is that ultimately we are desiring to be in the presence of God. But because of sin, again, even these places, these sacred spaces had restrictions. And the closer you got to the great manifestation of God's presence, the more restricted these, these places became such that if you ever entered into the Holy of Holies, the holiest places where God's presence was the, was the most pronounced, if you were not in right standing with him, according to the requirements of the high priest, you could die. That's what our sin in the presence of God actually brings about. So with all of that in mind, imagine now David looking at this hill, looking at the, the tent of meeting up on this hill and asking the question that all of us should be asking, God, what will it take? What will it take for me to be able to get up on that hill and stay on that hill? What would it take for me to ascend this, this greater mountain, this greater climb against sinfulness toward your presence? Who is qualified? who's truly qualified, who is able to achieve this deepest desire of humanity's heart. And the psalmist gives us a challenging answer in verses two through five. Who is it that can sojourn in the tent? Who can dwell on the holy hill? The one who walks blamelessly. The blameless are the ones, according to Psalm 15, who can dwell with God, those who choose what is right, those who choose the faithful path and, the path and forsake the path of the wicked because they have a godly heart. There's a godly condition to their heart, according to verse two. They, they love the truth in the depths of their being. They delight in the truth because they love and delight in God. And then the psalmist helps us David elaborates to help us understand what it practically looks like to be blameless. Okay, if the blameless are the ones 
who can ascend the mountain. They're the ones who can dwell with God in an uninterrupted way. How do I figure out if I'm blameless? How do I figure out if, if, if I'm qualified to be up on this hill with God? And so David offers us a picture of what it looks like to live in, in blamelessness to help us diagnose our status. And there are both positive and negative components to the, the painting that David is picture, uh, painting, the picture that David is painting of blamelessness. Let's begin with the negative because that's, that's where David begins. The, the blameless do not do certain things. If you're blameless, here are some things that you won't do as a condition of you being blameless. The blameless do not slander. We see that in verse three. They don't speak falsehoods, knowing falsehoods against their brother, their sister, or their neighbor in order to bring them harm. They don't gossip. And they don't stir up other people to gossip about those that they love. And the reason they don't do this is because they know what God delights in. And God does not delight in language that tears down, nor does he delight in what is false. No, because they delight in God, they want to delight in what he delights in. And God delights in what is true. And he delights in what builds up. So the blameless have a godly tongue that they use for the glory of God and for the building up of his people. They don't slander. Secondly, Psalmist tells us, the blameless do not do evil to their neighbor. Again, in verse three, this is really a statement about faithfulness, that blameless friends, blameless neighbors are faithful friends. They don't betray, they don't forsake, and they seek the good of those who are around them. You could, you could use the picture of the story of Joseph that we just finished looking at in the back portion of the book of Genesis. The blameless are not like the brothers of Joseph, but they are like Joseph himself. The, the brothers saw Joseph as a threat. He brought out their insecurities, and so they acted against him to remove this threat. They, they sought to do him harm. They sought to kill him. They sought to, they sought to sell him for their own benefit. They betrayed him. They were unfaithful brothers, as opposed to Joseph, who took care of those who betrayed him, who, who provided for those who betrayed him. In that scenario, who's most like God? Who's, who's most displaying the qualities of God toward the people of God. Those like Joseph's brothers or Joseph himself. The blameless will not do evil to their neighbors. Thirdly, the blameless do not take up reproach against their friends. They won't take up a reproach. The blameless believe the best. They believe the best. And they seek to protect the reputation of, of those around them, especially those who are a part of the people of God. They don't rejoice in hearing bad reports about their friends, and they don't immediately assume the worst. And even if there is an offense, even if there is something that goes wrong, they don't hold on to the offense. They don't look for an excuse to wear it as a badge of honor. No, they are gracious and they are forgiving because that's the way God is. And the blameless do not become rich 
at the expense of those in need. This is in verse five. They don't charge interest when helping out a less fortunate neighbor, nor do they allow their integrity to be bought in order to offer false testimony. They will tell the truth even if it's costly and they help those in need regardless of personal advantage. Those who are blameless do not do certain things, but they also do certain things. There's a positive quality to the picture that that David is painting here, a positive expression. Those who are blameless reject those who reject the Lord. There are some things they do. They reject those who reject the Lord. They do not associated, they do not, they do not associate with the unrepentant. They do not associate with those who delight in wickedness, those who are known for their sin. Now, I want to draw an important line here, an important distinction. This is not a rejection or a call to reject our evangelistic purpose as the people of God to be salt and light. That's not what the psalmist is saying here. He's not saying get rid of your family or your coworkers or your neighbors. Rather, what he is asking is who do you delight and enjoy being around? Whose company do you prefer? Those who are leading you to delight in the things of God or those who are leading you to delight in the things of this world? It reminds me a lot of the story of Lot, what the Bible is telling us here. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Lot? There's a moment where they got to choose what land they were going to inhabit because their their herds, their families had grown so large. And the Bible tells us that Lot chose the, the land that was pleasing to the eye. And over time, Lot moved all the way to a city that was named Sodom. And Sodom, according to God's own testimony about the city, was really sinful. It was known for its wickedness. It was known for its sinfulness. If, if there was an Olympic sport for being wicked, Sodom would have the gold medal. Okay, everybody following with me? And what Lot does is he moves closer and closer and closer to Sodom. He, he puts his tent right outside of Sodom in Genesis 13. And by Genesis 19, it looks like he's living in it. Living there. To the point where when angels come to warn him, hey, God's about to wipe this city off the face of the planet. As Lot begins to give testimony to his own sons-in-law, they laugh at him. They don't believe him because they laugh at the things of God. Now, here's the warning. Here's what, what the Bible's telling us. Don't be like Lot. Don't, don't put your tent in a place of wickedness and think it will not have an effect on you. Reject, reject those who are known for wickedness. Reject those who are known for evil because they will turn your heart not toward God, but away from God. And the blameless desires to delight in what God delights in. So those who are blameless reject those who reject the Lord. And then secondly, they honor those who fear the Lord. In rejecting those who are known for sinfulness, they embrace those who are known for their righteousness. They delight in being around those who stir them, who stir them toward love and good works. They they delight in being around those who call them to faithfulness because it's a fellowship that is rooted in love for God. And then those who are blameless keep their promises. Their yes is yes 
and their no is no. They will inconvenience themselves. They'll, they'll bring harm to themselves, verse 4, in order to keep their promise because they want to be truthful and they want to evidence the kind of faithfulness that God has toward his word. And is God ever unfaithful to his word? No. So we must not be unfaithful to our word if we're going to be blameless and welcome in the presence of God. And then the psalmist leaves us with a, a beautiful promise, a blessed assurance in verse 5. If you are blameless, if you are able to, to ascend this holy hill and, and walk in the tent of God, you will never be moved. If you're found to be blameless, you are welcome in the presence of God and you are always welcome in the presence of God. Isn't that a refreshing promise? And yet there's also a burden attached to it. There's a burden here because again, the goal is to get up this hill. The goal is to dwell with God and the condition of that is blamelessness. And yet all of us know that we are not blameless in fact, we are full of blame. We've done the things that we're not supposed to do. We have slandered others. We've done evil to our neighbors. We've encouraged reproach against our friends. We've held on to, to bitterness and not extended forgiveness. And we have benefited at the expense of others. And we have not done the things that we are supposed to. We have honored the wicked and shamed the righteous. We have forsaken our word for our own convenience. We're not blameless at all. So where's the hope here? Why, why is this psalm a declaration of worship? How can it lead us to worship? Let me declare to you what the Bible declares to us, that this is a psalm of worship that leads us to hope because there is one who is worthy. There is one who can sojourn in God's tent and dwell on his holy hill. There is one who always did what is right and delighted in the truth. There is one who never slandered nor did evil to his neighbor. There is one who took on the reproach of his friends and removed it. There is one who honored the Lord and cast out the wicked. There is one who kept his promises even when it cost him his life. There is one who cared for the truly poor and gave them the most extravagant gift. And his name is Jesus. He is the truly blameless one. And friends, he will never be moved. Never be moved. And here's the promise. Because he is holy, because he is blameless, those who are found in him are now also considered blameless. Those who are found in him can now be declared holy, covered by his precious blood. We can be holy and blameless because he is holy and blameless. So think about that verse from Peter's epistle again. You be holy because he is holy. You be holy because Jesus is holy. It's not a burden, it's a promise of provision. You don't have to wear the weight. 
Jesus wears the weight and allows us to step within his empowerment and his strength in order to be blameless as God has called us to be. As the church, we can rejoice, friends, that while there is moral expectation and we have to see the moral expectation that God has for us as a people who bear his name, while there is moral expectation, there is also marvelous empowerment to walk in the blamelessness that God desires. Not in our burden, not in our strength, but rather the strength of Christ given to us through his victory. So church, in light of that, expectation and desire to sojourn and dwell with God. Let's commit in the power of Christ to walk in blamelessness for the glory of God. Let us evidence the work of Christ within us and never be moved. And this should be, these qualifications, these qualities should be the natural outflow of Christ working within us and making us new. We should not have to strive to do these things or work to do these things. They should be the consequence, the fruit of Christ working within us. The more we delight in God and the things of God, the more the fruit of blamelessness will show up in our life. Hear me this morning, church. In Jesus, we can reject the way of the wicked. In Christ, he's already done it. He's empowering us to do it. We can reject the way of the wicked. So church, let's guard our tongues and use them only for God's glory, reflecting the blamelessness that has been declared over us in Christ. Let's not slander. Let's, Let's not speak falsehoods against one another. Let's commit to using our tongues and our words to encourage, to stir up each other toward greater Christ-likeness and faithfulness. As a church, let's not flatter. That's a lie. It's not true. Let's encourage and edify. Let's be the kind of people that splash living water on each other every time we gather together. Because don't you need encouragement? And don't you want to be around people who encourage Don't you want to be the kind of people that people want to be around because they're going to receive a word from God? They're going to receive encouragement from Scripture. They're going to to receive empowered language that drives you to walk more faithfully in the time between our gatherings. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of community we want to be a part of. And and is there anything more countercultural that we could offer than positive, encouraging language from God? Because slander is everywhere in our current culture, in our context. What a challenge when you see news media, politicians, this is going to amplify in the next year as we inch toward a presidential race. These people go out of their way to misrepresent and exaggerate attacks against their opponents and enemies for the sake of personal gain. Let's reject that. Let's not let the culture influence us, friends. Let's influence the culture with the kind of language that builds up and fashions and shapes into Christ's likeness for God's glory. Let's reject a culture of suspicion. 
Let's reject a culture that tears down one another for the sake of our own personal gain. And let's embrace a culture of support and encouragement as we seek to build each other up for God's glory. Guard our tongues and use them for God's glory. Secondly, let's seek only the good of those around us. Let's be faithful friends. Let's be faithful. Let's speak the truth and love to one another. Let's, let's encourage when we see the Lord working in one another's lives. But let's also warn when we see those places where the enemy may be taking a foothold. Let's be 3 a.m. friends. Have you ever heard a, a terminology like that? You'll be the kind of friend that someone can rely on. Even in the middle of the night, if there's an issue, a trouble happening, are you the kind of person, are you the kind of friend that someone can call and say, I need help, and even though it's inconvenient and I'd rather be asleep, I'm gonna get up and go? Because that's the kind of friend that I wanna be to my friends who are part of the people of God. Let's seek only the good of those around us. And thirdly, let's believe the best in one another. Let's, like Jesus, seek to remove reproach rather than hold on to reproach or to, to, to find any kind of reproach. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, I'm going to offend you. Say it. I'm going to offend you. And I want you to look, at, look back at your neighbor and say, I know. <laughs> right? Listen. We are full, filled with broken, imperfect people. And we will offend one another. There will be a time where, where we do something that could be taken as an offense. But what do we do as the people of God? Do we take it up? Do we take up that offense? Do we hold on to it? Do we, do, we, do we sit in it and stew in it and allow it to stir in our minds so that the offense becomes anger and bitterness or the enemy can have a foothold and sow division? No, that's not what we're called to. We don't take up reproach, we put it down because God, who was the offended party, who was offended in ways that you and I could never be offended, pursued us as the ones who, who made the offense. And he pursued us in the most incredible way. Here's how much he loved those who rebelled against him, those who offended him. He sent his son to make a way for those who rebelled against him to once again dwell on his holy hill. Oh, that that would be characteristic of us. Not holding on to burdens, not not holding up or taking up reproach against our friends, but seeking to show grace and mercy and forgiveness as evidence of the gospel working within us. Let's believe the best in others and be mindful of the worst in ourselves. It's amazing how God could use that in a people to drive us toward unity and purpose for his glory. In Jesus, we can reject the path of the wicked and we can embrace the path of the righteous. Let's not associate with those who reject God and the things of God. Who do you enjoy being around? Why do you enjoy being around them? What do they delight in? 
And are they pushing you to delight in the things of God? Let me, let me press in a little bit more here. Who do you delight in watching? What do you delight in watching? What do you delight in scrolling incessantly on your social media feeds? Things that stir up delight in the things of God? Are things that stir up debate and wickedness and love for the things of this world? Again, hear me. Don't be surprised if you continually set up your tent near Sodom and find yourself living there and not the too distant future. Don't be surprised if you only surround yourself with people who are pushing you to delight and things that are contrary to what God delights in. If you don't find yourself asking the question in the very near future, did God really say? Did God really say that was bad? Because all my friends are saying it's good. Every TV show I watch says it's good. Every movie I watch says it's good. Everybody the algorithm keeps throwing up on my Facebook page tells me it's good. So maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe God's wrong. Maybe they're right. It's amazing how the enemy can begin to use those subtle, consistent declarations of, of what the world says is good to lead you away from blamelessness and into foolishness. Let's not associate with those who reject God and the things of God. Let's evangelize. Let's be salt and light. Let's declare the goodness of God. Let's also make sure we guard our hearts. Let's honor those who fear the Lord. Let's celebrate the faithfulness of God that we see in others, invite them into our lives for the sake of helping us walk in blamelessness. Hear me today. Thank you for being here today. This is, the, this is one of the most important things you can do for your spiritual walk, to gather with God's people to be around people who honor and delight in praising the Lord. It's one of the best things you can do. And I'd encourage you, as often as is possible, as much as it is possible, you be here. Because as you, you show up, you honor those who fear the Lord and ministering to one another and singing songs and hymns and praises to one another as an encouragement, pointing us, collectively pointing us toward what really matters, toward who really matters. So that as we go out into a hostile and difficult world, a culture that is increasingly antagonistic toward the things of God, we can remember that we are not alone. There are people who are walking alongside us who are praying for us to continue in faithfulness for God's glory. And just when we're at our weakest point, we feel like we can't go anymore. Here comes that Sunday again, and we're able to to encourage and lift each other up once again, to go out and do it until that day that Jesus calls us home. Let's honor those who fear the Lord and let's, be, let's commit to be faithful in our promises. Let's let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's, let's be truthful and trustworthy because that's a characteristic of who God is. Trust is foundational to any relationship, certainly with God and with each other. So let's, let's have the kind of language and make the kind of promises that allow trust to be built. And in those moments when we do fall short, and occasionally we will, let's be quick to ask for forgiveness. 
We can embrace the path of righteous. We can reject the path of the wicked, knowing, remembering, that again, our qualification for God's presence, our qualification to be in the tent of God and on his holy hill has nothing to do with our success and achieving this list of blamelessness, but rather being found in Jesus. It's his work, not our work, that qualifies us to be in God's presence. We can rest in that. That's not a burden, that's a blessing. No, Jesus has taken the burden and offered us something light. What a worthy God we serve. And what a delightful thing to know that if we are blameless because we are found in Christ, that we can be in God's tent. We can walk with him. We can dwell with him. And hear me this morning, we will never be moved. Never. Not again. In any language. Never. So how can we respond this morning? Let me just ask a few questions to help navigate maybe how the Spirit is leading us to respond to the word here in Psalm 15. Firstly, are you still bearing the burden of righteousness? Maybe this morning you're still at, you're, you're like David. You're sitting at the bottom of that hill. You're looking up at God. You desire to be with him. You desire to walk with him, but you have no idea how you're going to, to ascend that hill, to meet the requirements that God has set forth to be able to enjoy his presence. You've tried really hard to be a good person, but you know in your heart of hearts that you will never be good enough to be in the presence of God. Can I just declare to you this morning the, the good news of Christianity? The hill we could not climb, Jesus descended to grab us and pick us up and set us on a firm foundation in the presence of God. And the Bible tells us, if you repent and believe in him, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be restored. You can be placed back into fellowship with our almighty God. Now and for all of eternity. And you'll never be moved if you were in Christ. If you've never made that decision, we'd encourage you to make that decision today. If you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, drawing you to the Father through the Son, in just a minute we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you if that's you today. Don't bear that burden. Give it to Jesus. He will, he will bear it for you. He has borne it for you. Place it upon him. And then for those of you who have done that, who are walking in Christ, are you living in the victory of Jesus? Are you living in blamelessness? Are these qualities set forth here in Psalm 15 true of you because of how you are delighting in God in your heart? Are you using your tongue for good? Are you speaking falsehoods or are gossiping because you want people to think you're in the know? Or do you speak the truth in your heart and with your tongue? Do you do evil to your neighbor in order to benefit yourself? 
Are you trying to take down anybody that's perceived to be a threat? Are you quick to be offended? Are you, are you quick to, to look for and hold on to reproach? Or are you quick to forgive, to believe the best rather than assume the worst? Are you actively seeking to be around those who fear the Lord and rejecting those who reject God? Who do you delight in being around? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? Do you help others without concern for your own personal benefit? And will you tell the truth at all times? Are you living in blamelessness? Are you evidencing what has already been spoken over you in Christ? And then finally, can we just rejoice in the completed work of Jesus? In whom we are secure in God's blessing, there's no way we could have achieved this. There's no way we'd be qualified to be the answer of verse one. Friends, the only reason, if anybody were to look and ask us the question, who is worthy to dwell with God? Who can walk in his tent? Who can be on his holy hill? If we were to answer yes, and they were to ask, how on earth are you qualified? Not a one of us in this room could say because of my work, because of what I've done, because of my inherent goodness. The only answer we have of any merit or truthfulness is because of what Christ has done for me. And because I am in him, I'm qualified and I will never be moved. Let us rejoice in that today, church. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Ask God to help you know how to respond in a way that honors him and, and helps us walk in greater faithfulness. If you don't know Jesus, you're still trying to work your way up that impossible hill back to God's presence, would you just rest in the completed work of Christ today by turning to him in repentance and belief? Allow his blood to cover you and he will make you fit for the holy hill of God. And for those of us who are in Jesus, are we living in blamelessness? Are we not doing the things that we're not supposed to do? And are we doing the things that we're supposed to do as evidence of the work, the transforming work of Christ in us? Let's walk in greater blamelessness for God's glory. Not because our fitness is conditioned on our success, but rather our blamelessness is evidence of the fact that we have been made fit through the work of Christ. And let's celebrate the fact that if we are in Jesus, we can walk with God now and for all of eternity and nothing, nothing can move us out of that promise. Oh, Father, help us. Help us respond in a way that honors you. Help us to be the kind of people who evidence your gospel work by walking in blamelessness. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at 
bayleaf.org.